So I'm coming to you today in a bit of a different context than I expected to be. I was very much looking forward to being there today and to the message that I wanna to share today. But uh, the reality of our times has jumped up and got the best of us here at our house. It turns out that uh, there was a bit of an outbreak of uh, COVID uh, at Campion Academy and there's been uh, some good response on the part of the academy to it, but one of the implications of that is Ariel came home this week. We weren't sure she'd been exposed. And so we tested her and found out that she has tested positive. Now she's vaccinated and not having a, a big problem right now, but then that meant we've all been exposed. So lacking time to get a test to find out uh, my own status, I thought it would be best um, in keeping with our values uh, and how we're trying to address things um, with this uh, pandemic. I thought it would be best if I wasn't there today standing in front of everyone speaking until I know for sure uh, whether uh, I've got that virus or not. So I'm coming to you by video today and I'm, I wanna thank everybody that has helped make this happen. But I wanna start today with a text from Acts chapter four. But before we do that, let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us. And maybe I should pray that prayer like this, to the extent that we can bear your Holy Spirit's presence. But help us, Lord, by your grace, be with us as we reflect on some stories from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start in Acts chapter 4, and I encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, take it out and uh, look this up, Acts chapter four. And I'm gonna begin reading in verse 18, but I wanna give you context here. This is the end of a story that starts out with Peter and John heading up to the temple and seeing a man there who uh, could not walk and commanding that he walk. And then as, as different things played out, it became quite a scene and Peter and John are arrested. They're put in prison. They're trying to figure out what to do with them and they've reached a point where they bring them back into the room. So this is verse 18, Acts chapter 4, verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're dealing with a context of, of a persecution from people who before this had been perceived as their brothers, that they had shared a common faith. But because of the disciples continuing to proclaim the name of Jesus, this has become a, a real point of difficulty for them. But they're not sure what to do with them. So verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So amazing things are taking place. So in this early church, the power of the Holy Spirit is present in a way that amazing things are taking place. And it attracts a lot of attention. We go on, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. 
So this is their prayer. They came back together and they prayed together. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, these are the kings of the earth, this is happening. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, this is a fascinating prayer that they're praying. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, I want you to reflect on that for a minute. They've been threatened. Their, their lives have literally been threatened. But their prayer is not, Lord, keep us safe. Maybe that's kind of inherent in the prayer, but, but the larger prayer they're praying is connected with their sense of purpose, with their sense of who they are and what they're doing. They say, consider their threats, but they don't follow that up with, but don't let them carry them out so that we can be safe. They follow it up with, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't want to be intimidated. They didn't want to be scared out of what God had called them to do. Verse 30, now, now catch this, verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So one of the things they're asking for, enable us to be bold and stretch out your hand and perform wonders. Now, God's really got to be with them. The Holy Spirit really has to be present with them for them to have boldness and for these things to take place as they prayed. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. As one of my favorite little verses, it really in all of scripture, and this notion that they would pray together, and the result of prayer meeting was that the place where they were was shaken by the power of the presence of God, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out and spoke the word of God boldly. So I think we could say, based on this reading, that the Lord was demonstrably with them. But here's the thing. When the Lord is with you in power, there are implications. You remember a couple weeks ago, we read this passage from Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. And go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But now catch this. We talked about this. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. The Lord said, okay, I'm going to keep my promise. I will keep my promise. But because you're a stiff-necked people, I dare not go with you because you might be destroyed on the way. This is 
strange language to us. Now, if you remember, we went down to verse 15. Then Moses said to him, this is the Lord. Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. So we're in the midst of a series called The Five Questions. Five questions that anyone who would come into this community it could be asked by people in the community, but particularly by anyone who would come new to our community would ask, do you want me here? One of the first questions they're going to ask when they come through the door, do you want me here? Second, do you love me? We spent time on both of those. And we started on the third question, is the Lord with you? Any person who comes into this community, we claim to be a church, we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, has the right to ask, is the Lord actually with you? Or are you just pretending under his name? So we started that two Sabbaths ago. And then, and then this Sabbath, we're continuing with this question, is the Lord with you? Then we're going to move on. The question after that, do you have a purpose? And then the final one, is there a place for me in that purpose? For these last two questions that we'll be asking uh, starting next Sabbath, I'll kick off the purpose discussion and then Pastor Jay uh, will speak for a couple weeks in a row there on do we have a purpose and is there a place for me in that purpose? So you're not going to want to miss those. He's very strong in, in on that topic. But I want to say a comment about last Sabbath because last Sabbath was a little different. We took time and we shared and we talked about uh, different things and people had a chance to express some of their own thinking on some of these issues. And we got excellent responses in the, in the papers that you turned in. And we're in the process of compiling those now. Now we're gonna give feedback on what those said, but uh, th there's a couple different ways it's gonna happen. The first time we're really gonna put it together and give feedback will be at our church business meeting that will take place in November. We're not gonna do the initial report in a church service. We're gonna do it in a business meeting. So you're gonna to wanna to participate and be a part of that. There'll be more announcements about that uh, coming up. Also at that meeting, we'll talk about the church budget and a lot of other things for the upcoming year. So I hope a lot of you will participate in that. Uh, but that'll be the first place we will talk about that. But back to our topic for today. Is the Lord with us? Well, what might we expect if he was? What might be the implications of the Lord being with us. Well, let's go back to Acts chapter four, because there's some more here. Verse 32, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. What an amazing time this church was experiencing with the openness and the connectedness and the worship together and the fellowship and the reality that they were invested in one another's prosperity to the point that they were selling land and contributing it to the community so that everyone had what they needed. Now, it's an interesting point that often gets brought up, and, and there's really two ways to look at it. One is the reality that this was, in fact, uh, 
an amazing time of generosity. But one could also look at that and say, that's not sustainable. Eventually you're gonna sell everything. The point I really want you to hear in that is not that this is the perfect blueprint for how a church community can sustain itself in our time. I do wanna say that there are times where the Lord calls us to these things. And the interesting thing was it wouldn't be that much farther down the road until Jerusalem would be destroyed. And these things that they were selling would be destroyed. So in truth, they were not losing anything they weren't going to lose anyway. But as we think about these things, we have to find sustainable ways to continue the work of the church in every era that it is. But this was a special time. Now, verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So we have an example now of what was taking place. And Barnabas, who will become a, a major player in the story and in the early church, we first see him introduced here in the context of a generous act. Clearly the Lord is with them and it's impacting their witness. It's impacting the way they interact with one another. They're the real deal. And amazing things are happening and God is with them. But then comes this, chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. It's interesting language, isn't it? Lied to the Holy Spirit. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. It's a startling story. And, and it's like, what is this Old Testament story doing in the New Testament? How did this get in here? How does this relate to this amazing experience that this community is having? Well, reflect on this story for just a minute. Do you ever lie to God? Is this what happens? Well, clearly not. If you have lied to God, you, you didn't die on the spot. But why does this not happen? And I wonder if there's any insight here in connection with the story in Exodus. And, and here's what I just want to plant in your mind to think about. What if God is with us to the extent he can safely be with us. And keep reading, verse seven. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out 
and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now it's tempting to stop there, right? But I want you to hear what happens next. Verse 12, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. So the presence of God is still there and miraculous things are still happening. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, pretty intimidated at this point, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Now that's an interesting point, to be both somewhat intimidated by them, but highly regarded. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So what was the outcome? The power of the Holy Spirit continued to be poured out. People continued to come to the Lord. So what do you think about what I suggested a minute ago? Perhaps this is a new way of thinking. And you would be right to ask, is it valid? What am I talking about? This idea that what if God is actually with us to the extent he can safely be with us? What do you think? Acts chapter one, chapters one through five describe, and it goes on even beyond that, but describes the Christian community in an intense time right at the very beginning when the Holy Spirit was doing amazing wonders among them. But the Bible also describes another community. Let me read you a little bit about this group. We're going to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, and I will give you a second to find it. Revelation chapter 3 describes another group of believers, but this is a group of believers who are having a bit of a different experience, I think, than what was taking place in Acts chapters 1 through 5. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. What was going on with this church? Well, the interesting thing about Laodicea was it was a prosperous town. It was actually doing very well. And the believers in that prosperous town were themselves doing very well. They weren't facing persecution, and they themselves seemingly had everything they needed. In fact, the church was so rich and so comfortable, they didn't really even need God's presence to keep going. You see, they weren't cold. They weren't unbelievers, but neither were they hot. There's been a lot of people who have spent a lot of time uh, in different ways with this passage and, and, and seeking to, to apply it to different time frames and, 
and very much people like to try to apply it to the time we're living in. And I'm not here calling the Boulder Church Laodicea at all, or even the Seventh-day Adventist Church trapped in Laodicea. But there is an interesting thing to note, I think. Have we become rich and increased in goods to the point that we hardly even need the presence of God to keep going? One of the interesting things that takes place over time with a people who have some success in accomplishing God's purpose is, is the tendency over time to automate and institutionalize the gifts of the Spirit. You know, the gifts of the Spirit. There's administration, evangelism, prophecy, teaching, healing. These are just some of the gifts. So you look at that early church, and a lot of this was taking place miraculously through the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the healing of the man in Acts chapter 3 was a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Paul will regularly do things throughout the book of Acts that are miraculous works of the Holy Spirit. But a people who have become established have a tendency over time for that peace to fade and be replaced by something a little more reliable. What do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> healing becomes the health message and hospitals. Administration becomes the organization. Evangelism becomes a program. Prophecy becomes a collection of books written by Ellen G. White. Teaching becomes a school system. Now, none of this is wrong in itself. And in fact, we could go through each one of those and talk about the amazing good things that have been brought about through those things. But there is a danger in each one of these things. And that danger lies in self-sufficiency. Are we doing anything that we could not do if the Spirit of God was not with us? I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not taking a position here to say that, that we are absolutely doing that or we are absolutely not doing that. I'm just asking the question. And I want us to challenge ourselves on this regard in our decision-making about what we're doing. Are we doing anything that we can't get done on our own? Now go on, Revelation 3, verse 19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. I don't know about you all. I don't love rebuke or discipline. Not a big fan. But it sounds like maybe I ought to be a little bit bigger fan because it comes to the ones that the Lord loves. So be earnest, noted, and repent. Well, I guess I better feel like there's a reason to repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Guess who's not in the room? Jesus. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus will come in. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Now, again, I'm not saying Boulder is Laodicea. I'm just giving it to you as a contrast. And I'll throw out this rhetorical question. Of these two communities I've described, which are we most like in terms of the manifestation of the presence of God? Are we most like the early church or are we most like Laodicea? Where are we in this continuum? And is that where we want to be? Well, here's the thing about Laodicea. Nobody in Laodicea was being struck dead for lying to the spirit. So I guess in that sense, Laodicea is a little safer if you don't really want to be earnest. So let's put the focus back on us. What do you say? Is the Lord with us? And would that be obvious to an outsider? Well, maybe I'm overcomplicating. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm making this a little too theoretical. How would people know that we are the Lord's and he is with us? Well, there's John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So apparently, love one another is one of the indicators here of the presence of Jesus. What about Matthew chapter 18, verse 20? I'm just going to grab a quick verse here. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. So maybe corporate worship is another way by which God is with us. And then there's this, Acts chapter 1 Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and this is Jesus talking, just as he's about to ascend into heaven. It says, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But here you go, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So maybe one of the signs that God is with us is that we become a witnessing people. So let's think about this. A people who love one another, a people who come together and worship, and a people filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that causes them to witness to the goodness of God. Love for one another, powerful corporate worship, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit filled witness. But what do I mean by those things? Well, we have to be careful here too, because all of these can just be a show we're putting on. And one of the big dangers of that is in the context of corporate worship. It's not about whether or not we put on a big show. It's about the earnestness of our hearts when we come into this place to worship. 
Paul writes in 2 Timothy, talking about a people who seemingly come together, who, who act like they love each other, who apparently had some kind of worship that looked like it and, and maybe were trying to do some kind of witness. But here he goes, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, people having a form of godliness, but denying its power. We're not here to fake it. We're not here to look like the people of God. We're not here to pretend the power of God is present. You know, I'm with Moses on this one. If the Lord's not with us, let's not go. So what do you think? Is the power of the Holy Spirit in us as individuals? Is the power of the Holy Spirit present when we gather as a people? You see, the gospel is the power to change lives. And if lives aren't changed through the message of Jesus, then the power's not here. Let's end with this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, for a single, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Verse 18, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm. This is a description of Mount Sinai. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. This is what happened when God talked to Israel from Mount Sinai. The presence of the Lord was so overwhelming. They said, please, we don't want to hear his voice anymore. Verse 20, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's what we're invited into. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Now here we go. Therefore, here's your conclusion. 
since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the kingdom of God cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Is your God that great? Is this the big, amazing thing you're called to? This, this kingdom of God? Are you in this place today because you know you've been called? Is your heart earnest? Is the Lord with us? Do we want the Lord with us? If the Lord was with us, how would that change us? And are we willing to change? Let's pray. Father in heaven, send us your Holy Spirit to the degree we truly want it. And help us to want your presence in the full. In Jesus' name, amen.